Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and wondered, why don't I have a Needham Woodworks case? Well, you're not alone. And there's something that you can do about that. You can go to NeedhamWoodworks.com to look at all these amazing cases that he's made. Handmade. No one is like the other. A completely unique case to express, to show to everyone else just how good your taste is. N-E-E-D-H-A-M. Woodworks.com. Also go to Patchworks.com. Patchworks is our local synth shop here in Seattle. Heavily, heavily involved in the community, not only here in the Northwest, but worldwide. Please support them too. P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Thank you to Lisa Belladonna for this tasty, tasty jam. Let's get into the show. mod bods holy shit velocity happened and it was it was absolutely insane it was out of this world good uh i knew it was going to be fun but it was it was absolutely insane you know and like i was thinking to myself the day after you know just kind of reflecting on it it was the first time that i was really looking forward to like a big event that the next day i wasn't I wasn't like sad that it was over or that I felt like it went too fast. It was, it was just, it was so perfect. It couldn't have been better that I just, I can only look back with fondness. Um, that's a little sentimental and cheesy, but it's true. Uh, to put it in, uh, here, this is what Banna Hafar said. She said a portal opened in Seattle when velocity happened. Uh, so that that gives you an idea. I want to tell you all about it, but I'm going to wait until the intro of the live podcast, and I'm hopefully going to be releasing that next week. So, um, but yeah, it was so much fun. I got to meet so many people in person that we've talked to on the show, and uh, Eli from Mystic Circuits was a house guest for three day di- for three days, three nights, four days actually, and it's always a roll of the dice with uh, with house guests, and he was as good as it gets. Um, it was so fun to spend uh, time with Eli and for Eli to get to know Hannah. Hannah absolutely loves him. Um, yeah, it's just, there's just so many good people in this community and I got to meet so many of them and a bunch of pod mod bots came out. We had people from out of state and out of country come down, but here I am starting to talk about it when I said I wasn't going to. Um, the last thing I'll say about it is go to velocityseattle.com. And uh, there is actually a video of all the live streams of every talk and every performance, including the live PodMod panel. So if you want to go watch the video of me talking with DivKid and Annie, Basic and Banahafar, then head on over there. You can also watch all the performances. Some of the best performances I've ever seen in my life happened that night. Today we have Corey Banks, a.k.a. B-Boy Tech Report, uh, Beat People, ModBap. He coined the term ModBap. If you don't know what ModBap is, you're going to learn today. Um, I was really excited to get the opportunity to talk to Corey. um, And we had an amazing discussion. Uh, He had a lot of really, really good 
uh, insights as to how you can go about making hip-hop and, and it wasn't the answers that I thought it would be obviously because I don't know how to make hip-hop but I'm not going to bury the lead it's a great chat and I hope you enjoy it I want to talk about the sabbatical for a minute and say that it's going very well and that I just continue to thank you all for uh, helping keep it going I am as of today I am seven people away from a hundred on patreon so thank you all that's just if you would go back two years and tell me that I'd be, you know, talking to Banahafar, Basic, and Annie, Div Kid, all on one stage here in Seattle, and nearing 100 Patreon subscribers, I just I wouldn't have believed it. So thank you so much. Uh, and if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. Um, I also have blank panels available still, just black, black blank, uh, blank panels with a white logo on them. Um, they're pretty, they're pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, I'm going to continue to do this Patreon artist spotlight thing where I'm going to randomly pick uh, some of my Patreon subscribers and play some of their music and talk about them. Um, I'm not going to do that this week only because with Velocity happening and just everything winding down, uh, I just don't, I don't have time to do it. I barely have time to do what I'm doing right now, uh, talking to you. So, but that's another incentive to become a Patreon subscriber. If you have some music that you want to share with the world and you want like an artist spotlight, or can t- talk to people about you, then go sign up. Um, but also if you just want me to play some of your music or tell people about your album, I'll do that anyways. But the Patreon thing will be like a spotlight. I'll be like talking about you for a few minutes. Um, what else is there? I want to tell you about Velocity so bad, but I'm, I'm just, I have to wait. Um, but again, go, go check out the, uh, the videos because a lot of, so many good talks. Nathan Moody did a really in-depth talk. Um, yeah, so many good performances. Banna Hafar completely melted my brain with her performance. Um, yeah, here I am. I'm talking about it. Tim, I told you, I told you. Stop, stop. Anyways, let's get into this episode. You're good to go? Yep, good to go. Right on. We got Corey Banks here. Um, I don't even, like, I've, there's so much stuff you do, but I want to say right off the top, the B-Boy Tech Report is something that I've been aware of uh, long before I thought I was going to make a podcast about anything. Um, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, when I was starting to look around at different gear that I wanted to get into when I was starting to get into making electronic stuff, and yeah, you're definitely one of the... Uh, one of the YouTube channels that pops up, but you do a lot more than that, but we're going to get to mm-hmm. all of that. I want to hear, I want to hear the Corey Banks story from the beginning. I want to, I want to, yeah, just to get to know you uh, as a musician, like when, what was there a particular moment in time in your childhood where music grabbed <coughs> you and turned you into a musician? Um, and you can kind of run with that question in any way you like. I'd like to so, it nice and wide open. It, <laughs> no, no doubt. It all starts when I was just a twinkle in dad's eye. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll fast forward a little, a little further past that. But, I mean, you know, um, music has always been, and you know, the funny thing about this is when I look at interviews and stuff of anybody that has anything to do with music, it's always one of those stories like, my mom liked music, my daddy liked music, mm-hmm. everybody liked music, everybody's playing music. Well, that's kind of in a nutshell, but uh, for me, there were those influences where, you know, my grandfather um, 
you know, he knew all those guys from Chess Records, apparently, from what I understand, because of the part of town that, uh, uh, you know, my people, uh, I grew up in Chicago. Okay. So, you know, it's a blues town. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, most times growing up uh, in in the black community, African-American community, it's a lot of times it's like summertime comes and you're going down south to visit family. Mm-hmm. Well, my family was in Chicago since early 1900s. So grandma was born there. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. that's a rarity for um, somebody that's African-American. You know, that's probably a generalization. But just most of the people I knew had people down south. I didn't mm-hmm. really. Okay. And they were all in Chicago. And it's a blue city. And so uh, the part of town... Uh, that uh, my my people lived in um, was really the same part of town where Chess Records was and and all of that kind of stuff. So Howlin' Wolf and all those people, you know, frequented the same bars and clubs that that <laughs> you know my grandparents and stuff yeah. went to. Um, so and uh, uh, it was just a very musical family. Like my my uncle is a jazz trumpeteer. Uh, my mom grew up singing with, I think the name of the group was the Holloway Singers. And my dad was actually signed to, to King Records or Chess Records or something in a in a gospel quartet group oh. um, back in the day. Okay. So um, music just runs deep. this the 60s Like the 60s, yeah. 70s? Okay. Yep, yep, exactly. Like the 60s, he was signed and, and he did a lot of shows and a lot of gospel stuff and... Um, you know, uh, and I was born in the seventies, and it was just uh, by that time. You know, my my uncle either knew or played with Earth, Wind, and Fire horns because uh, that's all Chicago history and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. He played with a lot of jazz bands and blues bands. My brother ended up in in you know playing drums and trumpet and drum and bugle corps. So I'm growing up hearing and seeing all of this stuff and not really thinking much of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just it was it's just, just a like, part of the normal, probably. Yeah, exactly. It was just kind of a part of the thing. Um, it wasn't it wasn't outrageous for um, you know. I remember growing up and, and seeing it'd be my mom's birthday, which is August eighth, and so since that's the summer, you know, everybody's out of school and it's always a hot summer day, and it was pretty normal for my uncle to play Happy Birthday on my grandmother's front porch to my mom for her birthday and have the whole neighborhood crowding around. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and, and so I initially started uh-huh. as a rapper and, 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 and I, at, the, at the core of it, I still consider mm-hmm. myself more of an MC than anything. It's just, it's a tedious task to write. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I don't have the kind of time that I yeah, used to yeah. have. And I, uh-huh. you know, um, and my uncle kind of instilled that in me. He uh, lived with us, at one point, and I remember I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13. Um, and I remember walking to the store with my uncle. He was talking about his music, and, you know, he's a leather craftsman as well, and he was going to teach me um, how to make leather belts and purses and wallets and stuff. And uh-huh. and then as we were walking to the store, he told me, why don't you rap? Like, that's the thing that, that your generation is doing. And I'm like, yeah, but I kind of want to play that trumpet, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, <laughs> that seems so you opposite. Just... Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. How, how right. often do you have uh, like, like your, your elders telling you you should get into hip hop? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, Especially see, it was kind of new the, then, probably, too. Like, it, it was, yeah, relatively it was totally new. Right? That was like, 
at that time, man, I mean, what was the hot record was I'm Bad by LL Cool J. You know, it was it was like that was 80 something or another. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And the way he looked at it was like, well, yo, mm-hmm. I started playing mm-hmm. the trumpet when I was about your age or younger. And that was the hot thing for us to be doing. It was like the cool thing for cats to do, either singing a doo-wop band or what. So he, I guess he kind of looked at it like, yo, why aren't you doing the creative things that creative kids are doing? And, and he, mm-hmm. you know, we walk into the store, he said a little rhymy word or two. Anyway, from that conversation, I ended up rapping. <laughs> right. Awesome. And, and it's it's been 30 years of my life. <laughs> and that brought me to making my own music. Um, at some point, uh, like I remember being one of the first kids in the neighborhood that were rapping. I was kind of a uh, nerdy kid that was all about the words, reading the dictionary, the thesaurus, and uh-huh. it was a it was a it was a gang banging sort of neighborhood. But I got away from those kinds of things because everybody knew that I was a creative kid. So they would be like, "Oh, that's that's Corey. Say that rap for me, yo." Uh, and then they would kind of shoo me off away from whatever they were doing. You know what I mean? So isn't that funny? I found how stuff kids- like that can kind of. I don't know. I feel like, like much different. But the only like kind of analog mm-hmm. I can think of is like, you know, like just like having a sense of humor. That kind of got me, mm-hmm. got me yeah. out of trouble with the guys who would have picked on me for being a chubby kid. But because right. I could make them right. laugh, you know, I kind of got a they little were bit cool. of a pass. Yeah, that, yeah. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. As a matter of fact, and because you know. Being in that neighborhood and going to school, you you know everybody. Mm-hmm. And a couple of my good friends were were gangbangers, but they would they knew that it was kind of like, yeah, hey, uh, don't come around here today. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, that's that's really lucky that that ended up that way. Let's yeah, yeah that's that's awesome. Without a doubt, it it really was, man. It it really saved me. And I remember Eric being Rakim being really popular around the time I went to camp with a bunch of kids and. And them those dudes would be like, yo, he know all of Rakim's lyrics, and and so like that kept me in a, in that space, almost like the same thing, like you're saying, like you got a sense of humor, you make people laugh, mm-hmm. you're entertaining people. They're kind of like, yeah, he, you know, he's that guy. He's not one of these guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. And 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 sometimes I felt like, you know, cats would be like, uh, he gonna be something. Don't don't involve him with this. You know what I'm saying? It kind of felt like they were kind of lifting certain guys up that they felt like had some other potential. You know what I mean? That's so cool to hear that. That's uh, it's, it's a rare thing. I feel like you know, it's yeah. uh, you know, people people either want to hold other people down if they think they've got something that they don't, but it sounds like you got a nice supportive community. So that's cool. Yeah, as yeah, actually, it, it really was, and it was a different time then. Um, I think. Yeah, it was just a different time then. And and I feel like, you know, even though I know it was the 80s and 90s, it just doesn't feel like that long ago. And it definitely was a different time. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm know. not I'm not like a, a well well-versed hip hop historian, but I mean, every you know, Eric B and Rakim are they're, they're still kind of a gold standard when you think of mm-hmm. people who who had um you know, something something really deep and personal to say and uh, like um, you know, they're just, they're yep. highly regarded as really great lyricists. So it might've just worked out perfectly for that to be kind of the cultural climate of, mm-hmm. you know, hip hop when you were coming into your own too. Like, it's kind of weird to think totally about how agree. something like that could 
could ripple into your life as, you know, just a kid learning how to rap or something. Yeah, you know what? Actually, it's good you say that because I do think, you know, the the climate and the sort of the, the hip hop culture at that point was really about uplifting and learning and, mm-hmm. you know, pushing things forward in a positive way. And, and you know, the, the, the more time goes on, you learn stuff like, what? Who knew Slickwick was running around with two guns on his hip? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that this guy or that guy was in the streets like that? But they didn't glorify it in the music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and it was just fun music. And and then NWA came around and they were cursing, and that was still fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but even still, the climate was different then. It wasn't. It's like it's a different thing now. Um. So yeah, I mean that's kind of how I kind of got to a creative space, and I linked up with some guys that were doing similar things. We had some mutual friends and we were kind of from different sides of town and we formed a a, a rap group and went from there. And the fast forward, the whole thing, um, ultimately we did a lot of cool things, a lot of great things in Chicago, uh, doing Chicago hip hop and doing shows. And um, at some point I got tired of being a broke sort of a <laughs> broke artist. Yeah. And so I decided to be like, okay, I, I dropped out of college, but I think I'm going to go back. Yeah. And so I ended up going back for technical stuff and thought of it like, yo, uh, no matter what happens with our, with our group, if I need a fallback plan, everything's going to computer recording and somebody's going to need to fix those computers and, and studio equipment. So I'm mm-hmm. going to technical school. And so that's what I did. And ultimately, um, the group just, you know, when you have three people in a group, things get weird. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily weird, but it's just tough to keep everybody on the same page all the time. Mm -hmm. So we we, we made a lot of great music. We did a lot of great shows. We had a lot of great meetings with things that could have potentially, with people and things that could have potentially changed our lives forever. Um, But... Uh, I'll, you know, all of us weren't as focused as, as the next That's man. That's the in thing, the group. right? Yeah, you're getting a band. Like, I've had that with bandmates. You know, some people they just, mm-hmm. you know, they just want to bang the drum. You know, they just want to yeah. go to the show, bang the drum, and drink the beer afterwards. And then some people, right? They want and a lot of drinking the beer afterwards. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I still like to do that part, but yeah. And then you mentioned, well, earlier, well you know what? I, I mentioned it just because um, sometimes the fun part of it. Mm-hmm overtakes the the part where you need to be serious absolutely right? and, yeah and and not everybody had that control or duality to be able to do both mm-hmm. so well it's funny a, a lot of thing. people i think a lot of people don't even realize that i think you see you know you see your 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 favorite rock stars or whoever it is on mtv and you're listening to them or you see them live in shows and no one thinks of it as or i mean i think i think a lot of people myself included until it was like it was way too late it was way too old i just thought if i play guitar and think mm-hmm. I'm cool for that, I will eventually just become a rock star because that's what happens, right? You're like, <laughs> but, it, but you realize later, it doesn't oh, require any effort. Yeah. Oh, there's <laughs> right. shit, there's work to do. I gotta take yeah. shit seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's, right. it's, it's I kind of wish I would have had somebody because I wasn't smart enough to figure that out on my own. I wish I would have had somebody older than me who knew something and kind of told me, hey, you could focus a little bit, but you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it all works out in its way, but. 
Um, it does. And, you know, I'm not upset about the way it eventually turned out. At the time, it was like the biggest thing, like, oh, God, the world oh, is yeah. ending. Mm-hmm. This is not going to work out. And you know what I mean? When you only think of yourself in one way, and then you start to realize that that is not quite turning out the way that I wanted it to turn out. And then I don't have as much control over it as I want. And then when I think back, it's kind of like I didn't take enough chances, right? So, <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, but ultimately, you know, what came of that is that, um, the group was pretty much unstable and those guys who were in the group with me, they're my friends for life mm-hmm. to this day. Yeah. I talk to them still and they're, they're my brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but what I realized is that I started working with other producers in times when we were in hiatus and not doing much. And so I was running around Chicago a lot working with producers and I just, I just couldn't find the right vibes man it was just kind of like this is shouldn't be this way like you should just be able to link up with people and have great vibes and make great music and move on Uh you know (laughs) it is really hard like i feel like i I, for me personally it sounds it sounds i mean i don't want to say what you were after but it kind of sounds like it was similar for me is not only were you looking for the creative outlet but the community aspect of it too Mm -hmm. and it's it's so hard to find that you know what? You you hit it right on the head. And I, I don't think I've ever summed it up that well. And it's true <laughs> because I always go the long way around because for me, it was all about the realizations that happened in this timeline. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? This this timeline where well, I was with a group, then I wasn't with a group. Then I was floating around the city recording with all kinds of folks and, and random situations and, you know, Either the vibes or the personalities didn't quite mesh, and you know what I mean. And yeah, I mean, I spent it, so a lot many of the different weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to fit and, square and, pegs and round holes just because you yeah, wanted to work. Exactly, just because you want it to work, and because you know that there could be potential there. But if it doesn't, if you don't have the chemistry, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I went through that kind of stuff. I even signed a couple production deals and these weird things, a bunch of stuff that that happened. Ultimately. Uh, one year I decided I'm going to buy my own MPC and keyboard. And so the Microcorg had just come out mm. and the MPC 2000 XL had just come out. And there was a Emu. That's when Emu had all of the stuff like Planet Fat and the PK6 and the the Orbit and all of these different modules and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I took my uh, income tax books. By that time I was working... <clears throat> excuse me in an IT career um um which I still do to this day that's my my day job and that's my my career uh, outside of music uh so by that time I was working in my career and, and income tax time came up and I had a little money left over and I could have saved it but I was like nah I'm going to good time center <laughs> <laughs> I think until maybe the last 2 years of my life every income tax went to music because that's right <laughs> and I'm that's pretty right, sure right. a couple times I I've, I've owned two microcorgs so I'm <laughs> exactly so you know, I know you know exactly what I mean it yeah. was it was such a such a like liberating and almost desperate time. It's like, yeah. yo, you gotta you wouldn't call him my best friend who actually was the DJ and producer for the group, but because he was busy all the time, I was like, yo, come with me to Guitar Center. I'm going to pick up a 2000 XL, and it felt like the most 
urgent thing on earth at mm-hmm. the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's oh, like, yo, oh, you, you ready to go? We got to get up there. This money is burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> I got to get up there to get this MPC 2000 XL. So I got that. And then, and then I went to a Sam Ash about a week later. And and uh, I had been hearing about this microcord and uh, uh, saw it there. And I played it. And, you know. No idea about synthesis, and I picked it up and played it, and I was like, you know what? I want this when they told me the price, and, you know, it was so much more reasonable than every single thing else in that place. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's a great starter synth. I think you got them new for, so, what, 400 totally. to 500 yeah, yeah, it was something like that. I mean, and, and I got the floor model, so I didn't even get a, I didn't get a box, I didn't get a manual. <laughs> no, the dude I want was this like, "Yo, right they're here. selling." Yeah, well, he was like, "They're selling like hotcakes, man. Uh-huh. They'll be back. They'll be here next week." But you know, back to that urgency thing. Oh, dude, totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Bro, I need this one right now," and so he sold it to me, and I got home, and and so that's how I started making music. And, you know, I made music for, for you know, just kind of sharpen my chops, hung out with some other producer guys that I was kind of trying to do music with before. And they taught me some things. And my DJ producer from the group taught me how to use the MPC uh, prior, like during the group time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just kind of grew from there. I just kind of eventually over the years, I got more of a creative, uh, more stimulation out of the the creative side, the produ- producing music and making beats than I did out of being an MC. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it and it, it shifted very slowly because I put out a, you know, I was with a group called Beat Monsters. We put out records. Uh, uh, we licensed some some albums, some album projects in the, the UK and Ireland. I put out a couple of solo projects. One of them was called. Um, the Storybook Adventure, I think that was 2012, and then I put out another solo uh, album in 2015, I think it was, and that was called Pathways. And um, you know, I haven't put out a, 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 a an album as an MC since then. You know what I mean? I yeah. featured on a couple things here and there, and you know, that's still very much a part of my my creative personality in my everything that I do but I just haven't recorded that way and it's because the endorphins are flowing from the beat making and from the synthesis and when Mm -hmm. I found synthesis it was just like a wipeout yeah (laughs) we have kind of a similar trajectory because I was I was playing guitar and singing in bands and for me it was all about lyrics like that was that Mm -hmm. was the most and eventually I realized well I wasn't too good at writing lyrics and and I think kind of similarly as well, I, I, I when, when I get interested in, interested in something or kind of curious about something, I, I want to get my hands in there and try it out. And mm-hmm. so just kind of learning how to, you know, use logic and then getting some synths and then finding out like oh, I'm getting so I can I can work so much faster and it can be exactly mm-hmm. what I want it to be. Um, yeah, just it's it's, and I haven't looked back. Yeah, you know. So. And the, and the thing is, is it's. Uh, I think that to the key to your point, working so much faster and getting that. I think it's like creatives are creatives. I don't know, like if if there was no technology, we'd be painters or something or right. whatever it uh-huh. might be. If there were no technologies, we'd be playing string instruments or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there is, you know, some people do some things better than others, mm-hmm. right? And you'll find that maybe. Maybe as a creative, I may do a lot of stuff. I mean, I do graphic design. I, 
I do beat making. I write rhymes. I've written poetry. I've uh, I like to write. That's B Boy Tech Report. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. Video. All of these different things. But some things will, you know, forge ahead and and be like top of mind all the time. And for me, that synthesis of beat making and a big part of that was. Um, I always found, like I said, I bought the micro Korg and then I had this emu keyboard, which by the way, I live in Chicago and I drove damn near to Milwaukee to buy that emu <laughs> keyboard <laughs> because I don't know what was going on in that year, but everybody was, we were out of stock on this and that and this, yeah. <laughs> it was just like, Jesus, man. that's the, I got to have it now thing too. Like I've, exactly. I it was an urgency. Yeah, I was. Listen, I've told my best friend and my sister, "You guys got to come with me because I'm driving to Milwaukee for a keyboard." <laughs> and they're like, "A what?" <laughs> yeah, they're like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, just get in the car, got music on. <laughs> so yeah, you mentioned earlier that you know you you said you had a nerdy side. So that I mean, the nerdy side is always like I feel like that's where. A, a nerdy art, like a nerdy creative, is always going to be somebody who gets into the techie side of it. Um, yeah, certainly. So, we're, it sounds like you maybe got into, you know, your your MPC and and microcorg at a necessity. But was was there also a part of you kind of just watching over people's shoulder and being like, I want, I want in all on the that. time. Oh, actually, it was mostly necessity, but it was a little bit of both. Okay. So that's that's what I was saying. Yeah, the the rap group that I was at, we were fortunate that. We weren't necessarily uh, like when we became a group, we were immediately in real studios. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It was it was like we were signed to a production deal. These guys were our producers and our managers. Now I know that's a conflict of interest. But anyway, they were our producers <laughs> and our managers. And, you know, they had us doing shows all over the place. Uh, like for really big places like the Regal Theater and big places like this, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, they also had us taking meetings with Columbia and Sony Records oh, and stuff like that. So we were very fortunate to be in a full-fledged professional studio with a lot of really dope talent from all over the place, always there. And then uh, one of the guys who were in the crew, he also had a radio show uh, on Columbia College Radio every Thursday night. So we were on the radio every week. So I was around technology and around this kind of vibe all the time. And when I was in the studio, I wanted to learn how to produce, but it was more about like, yo, I'm signed to this production company to rap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm well, here to do. But I was on, always yeah. curious about the equipment and the mix board and the synthesizers that were around. But, you know, it was just one of those things. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I'll play my position. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. That <clears> totally <throat> makes sense. Especially if you're, if you're playing, you know, if you're playing big, bigger shows and you're, you're taking meetings and stuff. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that, that you're kind of, you're in on the thrill of the hunt. Like you're, you're just like tunnel vision yep. on like what you're doing. I imagine that's exactly, exactly what me and my guys did is we were always freestyling. We were always like, you know, even when we were, uh, you know, out on the streets, we were kind of in ciphers rapping and, mm-hmm. you know, wherever there was hip hop happening, that's where we were. And we would like, when we, you know, we take our time to write our songs and, and we're scheduled to go to the studio. We go to the studio and, you know, record our songs. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it wasn't until years later when, you know, the curiosity grew so much and that I kind of start figuring like, there's something more here as far as myself with a, as, as a creative like, I should be able to create the palette the or 
the bed of music that I want to hear myself on because I'm not hearing a vibe. I'm not, you know what I mean? After totally. a while, it was just kind of yeah. like I'm not getting what I want to get out of this. And so it, after a while, I just had to kind of break free on it. And the group wasn't quite together as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So it, it just made sense. Either I went and did it for myself or I just would have stopped doing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I, 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 the necessity thing is such an interesting – It's it's just such a weird – survival technique for the creative Mm -hmm. you know like if 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 you if you've got this thing with a group but it's maybe not it's not working and you're you're maybe going in different ways creatively or something like your your creative spirit senses danger and figures out like it's it's a way to survival (laughs) it's really interesting it's true it's true and um yeah so i saw a lot of things well i'll tell you here's you know when you say the nerdy side and the technical side as I started doing that and also was starting to work an IT career, there was a point where our managers seemed to have been getting paid, and we weren't. Yeah. Now, I'm not accusing them of anything. I just, you know, listen, we were kids that had no source of income. Mm-hmm. And so we were signed to their production and management company. So obviously they had a business going on. So we just didn't, and I just couldn't see. I was like, man, we're going to end up being really broke all the time. So I went to technical school with this whole idea of before the terminology really of music tech was popular. I was like, I feel like the technology of music is going to need a technical person to fix it. And that could be a way that I could stay connected to the music and start to make some money. You know, that's um, that was good. That was smart thinking there. That's like because I I had a similar thing with the money thing. Well, I have to make money, but I just I didn't I didn't see it at all possible within music. So I just, I went to college for years and kind of turned my back on, on music for, I mean, I still play guitar here and there, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool that you've, you, you had the foresight to find a way to like stay useful in the environment that you wanted to stay attached to. Yeah. And you, you know, sometimes I don't know. Um, I did see it, but sometimes I don't know, you know how people say you got to have a backup plan, but then yeah. some people say, uh, don't allow your backup plan to become your primary plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know which side of that I ended up on, but what I did get, uh, <laughs> what I did get to a point was I was just kind of like, all right, I, I work in this very corporate environment, and I'm sort of, I'm sort of closely held to the chest on this whole hip hop thing that I do, even though I was. I would literally be doing shows and even signing autographs at night yeah. and then going in the, in the morning back to the law firm to fix computers and, and be a part of the IT department. You know what I mean? It's a weird double and life. It was a super weird double life. And I, I really got – there was a point, 2012 is the point when – you know, I mean, it, it would be so weird, man. I mean, it would be like, yo – couple close friends in the firm would hear that I do music and then that would start going around. Oh, I hear you do music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're saying the most uncool <laughs> things that they think are cool. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and you know, I ended up one time freestyling on the mic with the DJ at the Christmas party. It was just a... And so I got <laughs> I get to a point where I was like, all right, I'm not trying to separate these two anymore. I don't care. People in hip-hop know I got to 
damn day job. That's like all taboo. Yeah. I got a day job, yo. I take care of my family, and that's what it is. But guess what? I still love hip-hop, and I still do hip-hop. So I decided that there's going to be no more this duality. Mm-hmm. Although my existence would be, I wouldn't allow it to, uh, listen, you know me, you know me. If that is going to be some sort of barrier in how we communicate and how our relationship is or how our business is taken care of, then that's a problem for you, not me, right? Exactly. And their, yeah. their B-Boy Tech too. report was born. Yeah, exactly. Um, and because of that, I decided that I would erect B-Boy Tech Report and because I didn't see my voice um, or any similar voice that was into electronic instruments for urban music. And I say urban music because, you know, although I do hip hop, you know, a lot of my friends do R&B or whatever it might be. And I just didn't hear that voice online. You know what I mean? It was all techno or whatever else it might be, and I got no problem with that. But mm-hmm. I just kind of figured, you know what? I'm going to marry my music and my tech, and I'm going to make B-Boy Tech Report, and this will be the culmination of everything I'm into. I was wondering before we started talking if if you started it because there was kind of a lack of resources for people who wanted to make what you were describing as urban music, whether hip-hop or R&B. Yep, yep. That's exactly why I did it. Um and and I respect everyone that was like that has been a resource for me. But here's what I started finding out. Um, it just was my voice wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not specifically my voice, but I became a resource for some of my friends that I didn't see online. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, the dude who taught me how to work in MPC, I became a resource for him years later. Like. <laughs> Because I had just nerded out so hard on stuff that I would be telling him, like, yo, did you see this thing came out? That thing can do this, and the specs are like this, and it's it makes it easy to do this, that, and the other. And by that time, he had stopped um, making music. And so what I found is that I was always talking to somebody in my personal life about music technology, mm-hmm. keyboards, drum machines, something, and obsessing so much over, like, wow, Roger Lynn had an idea and made it happen, and Wow, Dave Smith. You know what I mean? I started mm-hmm. kind of getting into that stuff. And then not only that, but then I was kind of finding coming across really cool stuff that Moog was doing at a time before it was as many resources out there as it is today. And I was finding out that people like Erica Badu was uh in an all electronic had an all electronic band with a couple DJs and a few beat makers and keyboarders and synthesizer guys and you know so I would write about all of that stuff but the idea was that why don't I put all the stuff that I'm into into one place and that's okay that it's like um technical stuff that like MPCs and machines it's okay that it may be synthesizers it's okay that it may be an article about Erica Badu or customizing my drum machine or interviewing a, a MC or interviewing a producer to me it all felt like the same thing Right. Well, you're interested. Like, so I, I, I've always kind of been, you know, of similar mind. Like, if if I am into all of this stuff, I am not so unique that there aren't a bunch mm-hmm. of other people out there who would be right. into all of this stuff. So that's yeah, that just makes a lot of sense. That's exactly what it was, man. And it, and and I was very surprised because at the time I was, um, I went back to school to get a degree. Uh, well, you know. 
I find myself every five years or so kind of frustrated with just about everything. Is and that usually means it's going to be a matter of pruning and and regrowing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I went back to school to get a degree. Uh, um, I can't remember if it was my bachelor's degree or master's degree, but I continued for that um, for all that time. I had an associate's degree in electronics for my entire IT career. And then when I felt like I was hitting a seal and I was like, that's it, I'm going to get a bachelor's degree. Yeah. And when that was done, I was like, I'm keep going. I'm going to get a master's degree. And I, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was looking at it like, I don't care if I'm a professor, a project manager, a manager, or something, but I cannot be what I am today any longer. <laughs> you know? Dude, I'm, I've been in the same boat too. Like I just, yeah, every, it seems like every five years or so, I'm like, I got to shake things up. I yeah, it. I and, and I didn't else. realize that that was the real thing like that. But uh, looking back, I'm like, yeah, I got a cycle. <laughs> you know? Well, that's part, so, I think part of being creative. I think sometimes you get, yes. you get bored and you get all these yep. new ideas like, oh, I could do that. And then you kind of get obsessed with this new idea that you can, you know, like totally. That's why I have this podcast. That's why we're chatting right now. That's I, exactly I, it. Yeah. And I get it. And that and that's kind of what, you know, pushed me to do B-Boy Tech Report. It started as a as a school project, but I had already been kind of toying with the idea of doing it um, for uh, maybe a couple years before I actually did it. And I happened to be in the project management class and they said, you got to choose a project and then you got to do the project and I need a plan. And this is how your passing grade is going to be. So <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough, I was kind of like, okay, so it's either going to be a t-shirt line because I had been throwing <laughs> with that idea too, or it's going to be a blog. And so the blog won and I ended up making t-shirts anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> it so, just all worked out. So um, I I don't want to like, I don't want to uh, fast forward too much. I think we like... I don't know. I feel like we could talk for a really long time, but just, just for posterity's sake, um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, so you do, there's, there's mod bat and there's beat people. Yeah. I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious, like, so you're doing, you're doing the instructional stuff. You're writing the reviews and everything. When, when do you cross the threshold into like modular synthesis? And really, I think what people will be really you know, stoked to see you on this show, I think they'll want to hear like, how are you making hip hop with with modular? What what is what's your? Do you have advice for that? Like, what kind of gear do you like to use? Do you, you know, like this is this is mm-hmm. he, like that's a lot of questions. I realize I just oh no, it's all good. <laughs> I, I understand the, the the direction we're going. So, um, the the idea for me was, um, like I said, I bought it's the key is the equipment that I bought initially, right? Mm-hmm. A synthesizer and a drum machine. And everybody that I knew was sampling records and flipping and chopping records. Or either they had maybe a Triton uh, workstation mm-hmm. where they were composing really beautiful stuff and, you know, like really beautiful R&B and soulful stuff. And I didn't have a chop to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> and then, then it took me a while to build up the chops to learn how to flip a sample, actually listen to a sample, get an idea, chop it flip it and make it into some really dope classic hip hop, you know, because I was more inclined to play, but I wasn't as good with the chops uh, playing as like some of the guys I knew who were keyboardists and bands. And so ultimately what it came down for me is I got to a point where I was incredibly good at chopping samples and and records, but then I realized it was limiting. Uh, It was limiting in a, in a, in a, 
space for me. So, yeah, I was just talking about, I, I think it basically came down to my chops were uh, improving where it came to sampling and, and making, you know, classic boom bap beats. Um, mm-hmm. They were, even though I felt like I was a little better at composing stuff, um, it still just didn't feel, it was something just felt like it was a miss. And it could just be about like, hey, you haven't done your 10,000 hours yet, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I was still learning and figuring out where I was and where I needed to be. Um, and ultimately, the more I got into synthesis, the more my mind started to kind of open up and I started thinking like, yo, I'm buying switched on bat. I mean, switched on Bach. I'm buying yeah. uh, Mort Garzen and I'm buying all these experimental Moog records and early, um, just early electronic music. And I'm sampling that stuff because it's what really puts the fire in me more so than soul really is what it, or either I would sample a lot of orchestra stuff uh-huh. or, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. <clears throat> so it was really about that kind of weird melodic and those kinds of things and ultimately uh i just got more into synths when i got a real synth the first synth was i think the slim fatty Mm. and then i had the the mofo and i just kind of moved through these analog things that were there uh that at that point there wasn't a lot of them you know oh six oh seven oh eight you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you had your Dave Smith. And, and it, the good thing about stuff like the Slim Fatty and the MoFo, it was kind of, feels like right around then is when it was getting to where, like, you still had to save up, but mm-hmm. it was at least attainable price-wise, right. you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, because, yeah, I think the the Slim Fatty was like $800, and I was like, yeah. whoa, mm-hmm. that, I just spent a pretty penny on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so uh, from there... What I started experimenting with is like, yo, why do I have to be constricted? Why do I have to? And it wasn't like I had to, but it was just kind of like. It is I, Abe from AI Synthesis. Baxter Kitty and I have hijacked this podcast. I have all the power. I can noodle on my roads or send you secret details, which I will do now. I want to tell you about the AI08 Matrix Mixer, available at AISynthesis.com and other fine retailers. <laughs> Feed effects into themselves to create drones. Feed an LFO into itself, making it sound like a robot. And now, a future module modulating itself. A matrix mixer facilitates all of these. Go to AISynthesis.com to learn more. <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in the aspect of you starting to sample stuff that probably, you know, maybe a handful of people in the world are sampling for hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're following your taste and, and it's kind of it probably works out pretty good that your taste is also making your stuff sound more unique because you're not doing mm-hmm. what most people are doing, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I've always kind of found myself in, in this weird place where I want my stuff to be very unique, but I still want it to sound like hip hop. And that right. brings me to mod bap. I made that term up because when I first bought my first module, I came home and it was just kind of, 
it was kind of half-hearted and jokingly and like, I'm going to make, you know, we were always talking about modular and stuff. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm coming home to make mod bap. Y'all could do boom bap. I'm doing modular boom bap. And, it, and then I said mod bap. And it be it was kind of half-hearted, but honestly, it, it stuck. And I remember uploading some of my experiments in the moment to YouTube. And this one dude from Australia that followed me at the time was like, Holy crap, you just made up your own genre. And I was like, yeah, it's mod bap. <laughs> That's so cool, dude. <laughs> and it just stuck. And then what, what I found out was that there were other guys doing similar stuff, if not totally similar, just using the tools, right? Like mm-hmm. incorporating modular with their MPC 4000 or their MPC ran of 5000 or whatever. For me, it was an MPC 5000. I went to uh, Moogfest and I was talking to uh, uh, Tony at Make mm-hmm. Noise and I was like, yo, I use an MPC. And how do I integrate this stuff with that stuff? And he was like, well, I know a guy. He works for me and he has an MPC 4000. He introduced me to him and his name was Lee. And Lee and I are pretty good friends and nowadays, and and he introduced me to another guy named Bryce, and that guy's name was Upright Online, and he was known for his, you know, incorporating modular into hip-hop, and, you know, I had already been doing it, these guys had already been doing it, I had already coined the phrase, and it kind of started getting groundswell, and then there was Shiro, who, you know, uh, Shiro I met through Bryce, who Bryce I met through Lee, and Lee I met through Make Noise, you know what I mean? It was just this whole thing. Shiro's a good dude. I've, I've, I had Shiro on the show a while ago, and we had a we had an awesome talk. Um, yeah, he's an incredible guy. That's my that's my brother in, in frequency right there. We go and do shows, and you know, just hang out, man. It's a good dude. It's my guy. Yeah, because you're down in L.A. now, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah, nice. And then I do you do work with uh, it's Aaron from Afro Rack, right? Mm-hmm. And which I also part. met through Lee. Uh, okay, at cool. Make noise. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's just it's just kind of a, a circle of us, and that that's why it feels more like a movement than just something that I do in my studio now. You know, you look up and there's a couple of pretty popular producers that are making projects that are mod bap, and and you know, people are hashtagging it all over the place, and it's just one of those things. I think what my whole intention was was like, yo, I want to take it a little further i want to be able to be weird and still be hip-hop i want to be able <laughs> to yeah, to yeah. you know dig a little deeper and be creative and when we did our synthplex mod bap discussion one of the biggest points that i think we could have ever made was uh, I, I said like hey hip-hop has always been the gumbo the hodgepodge art the art that mm-hmm. you know they were canceling uh musical um classes and curriculum in schools and sports curriculum in schools and 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 like so we didn't have instruments like my uncle and his peers had (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and so what we had was rapping and and turntables and so somebody took turntables and and pulled the record back and forth it wasn't designed to do that so my point Mm -hmm. was hip-hop has always taken things that were made for action a and b 
and totally took them and and made them into primetime tools for action C through Z. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, I like mean? That. Yeah. Like there was no <laughs> turntables were made to put the platter on and put the needle and walk away. There was it was not made to spin back and forth. There was no mm-hmm. uh cross fader and DJ thing before Grandmaster Flash decided I need to be able to turn this off and on while I'm pulling the record back and forth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Roger Lynn did make the MPC for hip-hop heads and house heads. He made it because he's a guitar player and he needed a drummer that he obviously couldn't find a drummer. So he made a drum machine. (laughs) You know what I mean? These are like real-life antidotes and hip-hop comes along as like, that's our tool now. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, Roland made the 808 and the 303 and all that stuff and house music guys and hip-hop guys said... Those are the things that we can afford and that we can get for two dollars because they utterly <laughs> failed in the market, and so I'm gonna make music with it, and then we get Planet Rock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so on, on kind of in that vein of just of talking about, you know, um, u- using using different types of tools for hip for hip hop. Like I think a lot of people get into modular because they they see like how how deep it is and it's just kind of a world of oh i could do so much with this mm-hmm. um i'm curious like what what was it as as a hip-hop producer what were what were some of the things that maybe was because the sampling capabilities are pretty bonkers mm-hmm. um you know with like the the foreign mess samplers and the nebulae from qubit and all that morphogene was it was it that kind of stuff that was like kind of pulled you in that kind of caught your eye at first like not at all as a matter of fact i was totally opposed i won't say totally opposed but i didn't get the sampler in your rack like to me it was just kind of like if i want to sample i got plenty of machines that do that i don't need and plus i wouldn't even do it that way right that's the Mm -hmm. way i looked at it um, it wasn't sampling at all it was the straight up synthesis and i started learning more about you know, I had all these records, so Mort Garzin, and I went down a rabbit hole with Mort Garzin, and then I saw it was some really dark places that he could go with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's not all Plantasia, or what is it? Yeah, Plantasia? Yeah, it's not all Plantasia. <laughs> and, and, you know, you get into the horoscope stuff, and then you go a little deeper down a rabbit hole, and it's, it gets real dark real quick. <laughs> right? So, you know, I started realizing what I dug, but, you know, the, the thing for me, what was appealing is I started looking at some of the other records like the Isley Brothers and Stevie Wonder, one of my favorite artists of all time. Mm-hmm. And the things that I loved from them, I started realizing like it's not that like what I really love from them is when they're incorporating synthesis and I hear the the Model D and all these different Moog synthesizers and then I and ARPs and I'd read the credits and the guy who's playing the 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 synths and the Isley Brothers is playing ARPs and Moogs and and Stevie Wonders, you know. Then I saw a documentary where Stevie Wonder knocked on the door of the guys who made the Tonto synth and was like, "Yo, I got your record. Everybody around me hates it, but I need you to show me how to do this." <laughs> and they stayed in the studio from seventy two or seventy to seventy eight, making all of his best classics with them with a modular synth behind them. And they were his engineers and his modular synth guys, and he would play it with all of his soul, and that's all the stuff that we love, songs in the key of mm-hmm. life. And how many times has that been sampled? So I just kind of started putting two and two together, like, yo, this is not rocket science, yo. This is just the basic lineage of the stuff we love. 
in hip hop. That's so cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, I, I was thinking about it as I was driving home from our our camping trip today, and I was, you know, I was trying mm-hmm. to think of like, well, I guess it makes sense to get into. And I was just, yeah, I was so curious, and I'm 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 actually glad mm-hmm. that my assumption is wrong on that because I was thinking like, well, you've got such powerful sampling capabilities mm-hmm. outside of modular. Um, it makes sense that that would probably be the thing, but it definitely wasn't for yeah. me. Like with, as far as like sampling inside the Eurorack. As a matter of fact, I I have a couple samplers now, but it took me a long time to come around to a couple things. Um, uh, samplers in Eurorack and whether or not I needed a, a sequencer in Eurorack. Dude, I'm still trying because to figure what that I do out is, if I need one or not. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's kind of one of those things. If you're sequencing with whatever you're sequencing with, you could just use your Eurorack as the coloring book. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know totally. what I mean? As like all the flavors and different colors and stuff. And so, you know, and that's been fun kind of digging into that because I am a technical person, mm-hmm. right? So digging into that kind of stuff and the fact that I have, uh, you know, associate's degree in in electronics, a lot of this stuff kind of makes sense to me. And then some of it doesn't make sense, and it's because I haven't been doing electronics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so some of it's refreshing, and, like, I'm refreshing myself. So it's this whole kind of world and, and combining that and hip-hop with those hard beats, it opened my mind in a way where, you know, endorphins are flowing all the mm-hmm. time like there's an endless i always felt like when i flipped or sampled a record uh there was a finite level or maybe i'm just not you know i've made some dope stuff and i still can make dope stuff with sampling stuff but i always felt a little limited and having to go find something on another record or a different part of the record to expand what you were doing or learn to play certain things so that you can kind of vamp into a bridge or or something you totally, know what i mean and totally. kind of create different things in the music and i always felt a little limited by the sampling uh taking it just didn't for me i just wanted more i'm totally Not that i couldn't you. do I'm it totally, yeah. but i wanted more i have i've had a few <clears throat> samplers and i have one right now and um you know i mostly just kind of like I like to make my own samples and mostly just for like kick mm-hmm. and snare, you know, yeah, maybe some weird kind of like atmospheric stuff, but yeah, I've never been somebody who could, who I never have been able to find my voice through creating through mm-hmm. samples. But then you have people like Daedalus who are like the 180 from people like us who just like do mm-hmm. like this crazy stuff. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I definitely don't want anybody to think that I'm talking down about sampling because some of my favorite music is all no, sample based, but totally. it's not for everybody. And it sounds like you're just like, just like pure love of, I don't know, just finding the, the like, I, I, I bet tone and timbre or something you're constantly chasing down, right? Yeah. And and that's what I, that's what I had to realize that even when I was sampling stuff, it was about that kind of stuff more so than anything else. And you know, I want to make sure too. Like, yeah, I definitely am not, dis, you know, besmirching sampling mm-hmm. or disparaging anybody that does sample. And I'm not even saying that I'm bad at it. I'm actually pretty good yeah. at it because I do believe, you know, in order to make great mod bap, you have to be a great boom bap and hip hop producer in the first mm-hmm. place, <laughs> right? Because I'm literally applying the <laughs> techniques that I've learned making boom bap and hip hop to synthesis and the ear that I've developed to synthesis and. You know what I mean? Like some of my favorite groups of all time, like a Tribe Called Quest and and those kinds of groups. And so I'm finding those kinds of sweet spots in synthesis that Q-Tip and Dilla might have been looking for on records right. through synthesis. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, through whatever it was that they were uh-huh. doing. You know uh-huh. what I mean? And so, yeah, I just kind of found a place that worked for me. 
And I think it's really dope that it's a place that's so deep and that I always want to encourage hip hop folks to, uh, I want to encourage my hip hop brothers and brethren to expand a little bit. And it's cool <clears throat> because we tend to look at things that are different as not cool. But what I like to keep up front is that this is hip hop. We've always done the unconventional with whatever the thing is. Right. You know yeah, what but, I mean? But it also seems Everything like, about hip hop is uh-huh. that. But it, it seems like it's a, a particularly challenging genre in that there is, I feel like there there's a premium on cool. I mean, there definitely is in rock mm-hmm. for sure, but I feel like mm-hmm. in hip hop, the premium on being cool is... You don't want to be corny, yeah. you know. It's I think I think that's you right. Know? That's, that's right. <laughs> so it's kind of a daunting. But you know, thing. you know what comes with that. It is a daunting task. But the fact I think what what really what you're able to pull it off with is the confidence, and I think that's really all cool ever is. Totally, it doesn't matter if it's the 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 the, the path least traveled. If you can make it look cool because you're confident with it, then people are like oh yo that's yeah. dope but see and that's the thing that's why i say that you have to be a dope hip-hop producer or boom bap producer in order to do dope mod bap like you have to be able to make hip-hop at its core and then incorporate all the other stuff that you start to learn and and find and synthesis in what you're doing with with hip-hop and that's what make it like a lot of times i see people um, will say is this mod babble? That's mod babble. This mod babble. But it, you know the fact of the matter is, it's a new thing and, and there's a movement behind it. But if you haven't been doing hip hop, you're probably not doing mod yeah. babble because it's just not just drums. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't mean take ambient pieces and just put any kind of pitter patter drums underneath. But then you got mod yeah, babble. Yeah. It's not like that. <laughs> there's a mood. There's a groove. There's a whole thing to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh man! This technique, there's so much to it. So if you were gonna, if if somebody was going to, um, uh, you know, ask how does how does like, I guess, what's your advice to somebody who maybe who's maybe a a modular artist who wants to get into dabbling in mod bap or somebody who is, you know, already a hip hop artist but wants to get into mod bap because a lot of people come to this show for answers like mm-hmm. this. And I think people who, whose ears will pick up when they see that you're on here, they're going to be like, he's going to have answers for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, you know what I do think it is? I think it's, um, when you think of classic hip hop, there was a lot happening. There were layers mm-hmm. in the simplistic music, right? So the layers that I'm talking about is cats are sampling off records that were recorded in stellar studios from the sixties and seventies. And those studios had all kinds of analog mix boards. And so there's processing there. Mm-hmm. And then that stuff would end up being on processed and put onto vinyl. And then there's another level of sound there. So there's, you know, that sort of warmth and crackle of the vinyl. And then that stuff is sampled into 12-bit and 16-bit samplers. Mm-hmm. And then so that's more processing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you're starting to get to this point where things are like, processed and sampled and flipped and chopped and sampled it then when you get it it's such a warm sort of dirty Mm -hmm. and grungy sort of feel like that's what hip-hop is is that that grungy dirty warm feeling like it's and the groove there's a certain groove to it that can be kind of loose and 
rigid at the same time. And so the the way I get to those places and uh, and I'm actually developing a mod map course too for beatpeople.com. But the way I get to those places is I have a lot of filters and I recently, not recently, but I now have samplers and stuff mm-hmm. inside the thing. And I love, you know, processing things and seeing where it takes me. That's, you know, filtering things down, mm-hmm. um, adding a lot of resonance and, and, and stuff to stuff, but then filtering it down after I sample it and slowing it down. Because that's the other thing. So a lot of times in hip hop, you had stuff that was sped up to be sampled into a 12 bit sampler and then slowed down for the <laughs> the grunginess uh-huh. of it and the textures and stuff that you get. So it's really about this whole texture and this this. Uh, you know, this coloring of the sound. And I think the more I've gotten into that, the more I realize like that's what that flavor of Modbap. If you talk to say Ali, the architect, and you see some of his walkthroughs that he does on his YouTube channel, where he'll make some ambient stuff, then he'll sample it into morphogene and then he'll flip that and then chop it in the MPC and then add some more ambient stuff on top. And what, what you end up with is like, yo, what record did he sample? None. It's just that he knows how to process and how to go through the process. He understands how hip hop is made. So it makes it easier for him to make melodies. And same thing with me. You make melodies on the Euro rack and you can filter it, sample it, slow it down. Okay. Capture that vibe. Put your drums on top of that the way hip hop cats do. You literally, here's the key. Everything is vinyl. Do you remember a part and for anybody out there that wants to understand uh what mind state you have to kind of be in to do mod bap is if you see the James Brown biopic and he's telling his band, he always sent his band through hell. He's telling his band, like, what kind of instrument is it? You guys are not playing this right. What kind of instrument is it? He talks to the dude with a trombone. What's your instrument? He's like, trombone. He's like, no, it ain't. It's a drum. He talks to the dude with the sax. What is that? He's like, it's a sax. No, it's not. It's a drum. He turns to the drum and he's like, I want you to hit it on the one. Revolutionary idea. Before that, that really wasn't Mm -hmm. a thing. I want you to hit it on the one. And then everybody is playing in rhythm with the drummer on the one you yeah. know what i'm saying and, and and right and so he told his whole band that you don't play guitar you don't play trumpet you don't play you all are playing drums follow the drummer make sure that you're hitting this rhythmic thing that we're doing and that's funk well that's kind of the same thing when i look at all these synthesizers these are all just this all vinyl to me mm-hmm. i'm gonna get on it and i'm gonna make whatever it is that i make but then i'm gonna process it and and chop it and sample it the same way I did when I was making just hip hop while I was sampling off a of vinyl. Right. You know what I mean? Damn. And when you keep those aesthetics right, then you start to make that sound, but with new refreshing timbres and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's and that's, and that's really what it comes. That's down such to a for cool. Me. That's such a cool answer because somebody, I you know, if you were to if you were to ask me that question and I had to give an answer, which I don't have an answer because I don't make I don't know how to make hip hop um, at all. <laughs> <laughs> I have dabbled and failed, um, but I think I think and and this is probably why. Like after this, I I almost want to try it again because mm-hmm. I would have thought that the you know my answer would be well you got to get your your rhythm and your beat down right and you didn't mention rhythm mm-hmm. or drums for until the end. You you painted this mm-hmm. huge picture that was like, whoa, holy shit! Because it's it's, I think I think that might be 
I think that might have been a misunderstanding that you just cleared up for me. It's because I've always thought it was a rhythmic yeah. thing. Bef- at, at, like for, it, it, well, first. I, I got to say that it kind of is. It's a part of it. But the thing is, if you're going to a source like Eurorack and Synthesizers, they, you have to be able to boil that down to the same place where you would pull up a record. Now, you know, you pull up a record and sample a record and you like you think about that record. Just imagine in your mind right now, you got a, this black vinyl you put the needle down on it. What you're putting a needle down on is this time machine that takes you back to this studio mm-hmm. with all this analog gear, with all of this stuff and this tape. And, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And this sound that you're getting is that. And how the hell are you going to get that from Eurorack? Well, you got to know how to process and how to you know do the same things we were doing with that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's a, a, this you could create vibes either with processing the sound or you can sample it and slow it down, then chop it and put it in. But the thing about the drums is that's so essential. I guess I didn't really mention it just because it's like if you know how to produce hip-hop, then you know the drums have to be a certain way right. anyway. You know what totally. I mean? And so then at that point, you're just applying what you already know and what you already do yeah. to this new thing that you're bringing in. Well, it sounds like the key, the, from what I'm gathering, the, the, the key is you really got to train you got to train your ear and know what to follow, you know, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's yep. just, that's, it's like, it's one of those things that's so simple, but profound, you know, like you hear it for the first time and you're like, why didn't I realize that yeah. the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. No doubt. Well, no doubt. Man, Corey, this has and, been and awesome, you know that, dude. This has been so fun. Yeah, no doubt. It's always, I'm always uh, happy to talk about the process and, you know, where I am with, 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 especially with mod bap and the journey, man. So anytime. Yeah. Well, we're, we're getting close on time. So there are two more things that I wanted to get to really quick. I wanted you to definitely be able to talk about, uh, beat people, what it is and how people could, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you mentioned just earlier that you're going to give, uh, online courses, but you also have like sample packs and like, yeah. so if you could give us a rough outline of that, and then, uh, I want to talk to you about a patch challenge after that. Sure. Um, so, all right. So, um, beatpeople.com came after, uh, B-Boy Tech Report and it was a place, it was really my e-commerce place, mm-hmm. right? I didn't want to turn B-Boy Tech Report, the sort of blog magazine, music tech blog into a co- e-commerce place. Although I could have, but I just didn't want to do it. I wanted to keep it separate. This is for info and this is for the goods mm-hmm. for beat makers and stuff. So I started doing, uh, sample packs. And um, a lot of times it's because I always got stuff in and out of here for review. So a lot of times it would be how I process things and loops that I would make a different drums and stuff. And, you know, there's been times when I've rented studios to go do uh, uh, sound design with drummers and full bands and whatever. So that stuff lives on beatpeople.com and it's spelled B-E-A-T-P-P-L. And that came about because there were certain people that I started to form alliance with and I would kind of shout them out. Um, hey, this is to my beat people. And it was more about my my people that make beats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And, <laughs> and so it kind of, again, that was another thing that stuck. And so that's what I created. And so there is kind of like the beat makers almost lifestyle. Right? You know okay. what I mean? That's That was the, the energy that I initially had with it. And, you know, they're still growing there to do. But, yeah, you could buy sample packs there. Uh, it's not just my sample packs. There's a couple other guys uh, like Ken Flux Piers. He has some stuff there. I did a really cool collaboration with um, the guy from uh, mpctutor.com and mpcforums.com where we made a, a MPC instrument from my 
vintage 72 roads and i think it's called vintage keys yeah and it literally is already set up so you can upload it into your mpc and have a real vintage roads and like the effects nowadays on the mpc are so good that you could you know load up a tremolo and set up a whole sort of effects channel on it and this is stuff that i took time and sampled painstakingly key by key at different velocities. Dude, I've been thinking <laughs> from, about getting a Rhodes, my... but now you might have just sold me on an MPC instead, because that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice, man. It's really cool and, and it's a it's a, a sample pack that you could load right up into uh, the the MPC and bring it up just like the official sample packs that come from Akai um, with artwork and everything. So that's kind of what beat people is um, I sell my music from there too because that's the other thing. We have digital distribution, so we do music projects. There, I did uh, Synthmap Volume 1 a couple years back, and then I did something else called uh, The Art of Intelligence where it was me and two other producers just kind of traded back and forth, traded off beats, and, and it was like it's a beat tape of like 12. It's an instrumental beat tape so it's really cool uh almost lo-fi vibes but it's you know Cynthia and modbap and you know that kind of thing okay. um so so it's a it's a place where you can get sample packs you can get t-shirts for the brand you can also get uh you know the actual music projects on cassette or digital download right on dude that sounds awesome you got a lot of you got a lot of irons in the fire a lot of shit going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, somebody told me recently, you're a serial entrepreneur. I was like, I didn't ever think of it that way, but I guess. Well, it sounds like you haven't. I mean, it's, it's very clear that it's all like driven from passion, which is always, you know, the Certainly. outcome is always better when it's that. So, um, yeah, I, I hope I hope I've introduced you some new to new people here uh, listening and. Yeah, this is... hope so. It'd be great. Man. Just a really quick interruption here. Corey and I both had really bad internet connection the night we we had the chat and uh, we kept losing each other through the magic of editing. You haven't noticed that up until now, but my magical editing skills couldn't make the the point of the show where we, we picked the words for the patch challenge. I couldn't make it work. So I'm just interjecting here to say that he got the words old-fashioned arrival. Um, we're going to get to that patch and, uh, and Corey's sign-off here in a second. But first, I want to uh, show you a little demo I made on the disting. All right, we're going to look at the Expert Sleepers dual audio playback. I'm actually going to use two different distings so we can get four different outputs. Now, the dual audio playback algorithm does exactly what you think. Uh, it plays two different audio samples back. Uh, there are two trigger inputs and two outputs. And then the Z input on the disting, uh, you can use voltage to select uh what samples are being played. So what I did here is I made a whole bunch of weird samples using the mood from Chase Bliss Audio. Um, I've played some of those samples on a recent demo of mood and there's some video on YouTube of the samples that I made. Um, there's also a video of, uh, the patch that I'm about to show you on YouTube. It's slightly different than this. Um, but basically what I did is I wrote a playlist file, so a text file, and I assigned uh, note values to uh, the samples basically randomly. So I could load that up with all the samples, and then uh, I, I could write a sequence to play certain uh, samples in particular orders. Um, so 
Let's see what that sounds like. I'm just going to bring one of the outputs up. So there are going to be four total. Um, and the first one here is going through the dirty murals, uh, delay slash reverb from recovery effects. So let's listen to what this sounds like. I have the tempo of my sequencer extremely slow, so I could give a lot of room. So all the gates are kind of hitting at different times so we can get a nice weird uh, ambient patch going. So yeah, that's just one, one of the outputs. The next output is going through a monsoon, which is a clouds clone from after later audio. So let's see what that sounds like. The next, uh, the next output's going into the uh, Chronoblob 2 delay, so let's bring that up. And then the fourth and final output is also going for the Chronoblob 2, so we'll bring that up in the mix. Now what's really cool is, so, there's this encoder on the disting that will basically kind of move um, just kind of a, I guess I'm thinking of it as like a target area of where the samples are um, and it will change uh, the behavior of the sequencer um, so the sequencer will be selecting different, uh, different samples as I move these encoders around which is really cool if you have a bunch of samples that will play well together especially in something like this where it's kind of ambient, amorphous, and atonal um, you can kind of just on the fly move these around. So I'm just going to randomly kind of slide these around and we'll listen how different samples will be selected, but it still kind of remains that same weird ethereal. Yeah. So what I, what I really like about that aspect is if you build a cool sequence of your samples, you can get a few minutes of nice you know engaging patch but if that starts to get kind of um you know tiresome if it's going on too long you can move these encoders around and if you know the more samples you have on here the more variation you're going to get with that encoder so you really could i mean i think you could put off a, pull off a whole set with just two distings and a couple of delays and reverbs um, and a sequencer Let's bring this tempo up a little bit, just to uh, just to give you a little bit quicker, so, like, quicker progression of these sequences. But yeah. It was just a fun, fun idea I had to try out on this uh, this algorithm, and it turned out to be pretty cool. Um, I want to actually make some more samples and keep experimenting with it. Uh, go to expertsleepers.co.uk to learn more about the Disting Mark IV. I think there's been four firmware updates this year alone. Um, Oz is always improving on the existing stuff and adding some new cool stuff with every firmware update. So this thing. Disting, he's uh, just keeps growing and growing.
Um, also check out the Dirty Murals from Recovery Effects and Chrono Club 2 from After Later, or not After Later, All Right Devices, and then Monsoon. Um, yeah, shout out to After Later Audio, who are making their own their own designs that are coming out pretty soon, so keep an eye on what they're up to. get off is there anything you want to shout from the modular mountaintops um i just want to give a shout to my my beat people my mod bap brethren out there that we're just kind of building this thing and it's so cool to be able to lock arms and and you know be sort of one in this sort of movement you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like this we all have the same passion for the same things and you know uh eventually there's there's you know um um a documentary in the works Ooh. and there's just a lot of cool stuff that we plan on doing and that we're kind of working on doing and some other stuff that I don't want to necessarily mention mm-hmm. but once it's done I want to come back and talk to you Absolutely. about those things too uh but you know just kind of expanding the palette and I just want to give a shout out to everybody that's like yo if you if you're a hip hop producer and you're looking to expand and experiment. Don't be afraid of it, yo. Just do that. Experiment. Make your own thing. It's okay. Your confidence is what makes it cool. That's <laughs> the, yeah. That was the, that's the best thing I think I've heard you say. Like that's just so true. <clears throat> that's so true. Like yeah, yeah. It's what you're into, and people feed off of that. You know, um, I remember Karis one telling uh, an interviewer one time back in the day, and he's my favorite rapper of all time, mm-hmm. but. He, he told an interviewer back in the day, people don't buy your music, they buy your spirit. <laughs> and to me, that spoke a lot mm-hmm. because it's just true. The confidence and the, the, the energy that you put into the music and who they think you are. And then if you think about when you fast forward to today and how every product that's out there, the ones that are really popular are all about community. And I, I wanted to circle back to that one thing that you mentioned earlier about the community and the technology. The, when I realized that really what I was uh, getting attention for the stuff that I do is when I started making it more about everybody in the community than just my music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then I started realizing that it became uh, all of the attention that I thought I wanted before I started getting when I started focusing not just on me. Mm-hmm. That is you know perfectly I mean? said and it's it's something that we we like it comes up in almost every single talk that i have is that sense and i'm sure people are tired of hearing me say the words sense of community but it's it's so cool mm-hmm. to hear the diff- different guests just say it in their their own way because it's it's so true that is like it's very true and in this day and age with social media i mean it's more it couldn't be more true mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> than today yeah. yeah and we need that we need yep. we need that nice warm warm side of the internet because it's it's a pretty nasty place sometimes and with that, I want to thank Corey for being on the show. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody who supports me, either through Patreon or just by listening to the show. Uh, it just means the world to me. And uh, yeah, you're the best. Please go check out NeedhamWoodworks.com, Patchworks.com, AISynthesis.com, and ExpertSleepers.co.uk. UK. I said that weird. .uk. Let's get into Corey's uh, patch, which was based off of the words old-fashioned arrival. Until next week.
Thank <laughs> you.